Father, we're so glad that you have done all these things for us, that you loved us so much that you sent Jesus to this earth to give us what we need, even in, in places that we did what we didn't know we needed, and yet you continue to seek us. And so now here we are, trying to be a light for you so that those who are seeking, they can find it in us. I thank you so much for coming into our darkness and doing something amazing with the lives that we have. Father, we want to give this entire worship service to you. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Let's open it up, and if you haven't changed batteries, please do so. Yeah. Just go ahead and open it up. If you want to pray with them, that'd be awesome. i got to fix a couple things.
The sun is shining, the grass is green, the orange and palm trees sway. There's never been such a day in Beverly Hills, LA. But
Said the little lamb to the shepherd boy, Do you hear what I hear?
Good morning, Cap City. How was that to start us off this morning? Merry Christmas. We are so, so glad that you have chosen to be here with us this morning. We are about to do one of my favorite Christmas worship songs. So if you would please stand with us and worship our God because he is the reason that we are here this morning.
putting decorations up in front of my old church and the shepherds and the wise men and the hay and there's joseph and his mary looking down to heaven's birth and the angels say don't you be afraid it makes me stop and think about how you showed up down here in a humble bed made of nails and wood you could have picked a palace something more fit for the king then the story wouldn't be as good from the highest of the high to the lowest of the low the stable tells a story of the distance you will go for the lonely and the there's no sin that you've all gone to find a savior lying in manger. Just 33 years later, by a rugged cross made from nails and wood. And the tears fill up my eyes, you didn't have to give your life. Then the story wouldn't be as good. Good morning. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. We are so very grateful that you're here today. Merry Christmas Eve. That's pretty cool. 
It's a great day, great opportunity for us to be together to celebrate what our God has done. My name is Ben Webb. I'm an associate pastor here. We, again, are just so very glad you're here. Uh, just a couple quick announcements. One is tonight we aren't having our student services. Also tonight from 6 to 8, this room will be open with communion available to you if you want to come in with your family and have a time of prayer, uh, meditation, whatever that may look like. Again, it's not really a service as much as it's just a resource for you and your family if you choose to worship in that kind of a way. Also this, uh, this, this year, 2023, has been great for this church especially when we think financially, all right? We've been blessed very well. We have a budget that we set knowing that it's dependent on people giving, and you guys have met that budget. You've given well. We aren't short on anything. And so as a response to that, what we're going to do is next week, we're going to use our uh, full offering next Sunday in in a way to just try to take care of some some blessing things. We're going to do 50% of it for us as a church to just knock out some debt payment kind of stuff. The other 50% we're going to give away to two different organizations here in the community. One of them is called Fresh Start, which some of you may know as the Franklin County Women's Shelter. They've rebranded, but we're going to give uh, them a great gift this time of year to help them in their ministry and what they're trying to do for women within this community. We're also going to help out, um, I I believe it's called the Thornhill uh, Educational, oh goodness, I have my notes here. I was going to try to do it without having to look it up. Thornhill Learning Center, okay? So there's a new educational initiative that's taking place here in town that's working specifically towards education for not just students, but also adults, helping adults with literacy, some different kinds of things to, to try to help them reach up out of poverty. And so it's a new thing that's kind of taking place in the Thornhill area. We want to come alongside of them and help them as well. And so you've been generous. We want to be generous. And if that prompts you to be even more generous this next week, knowing that we're giving in those kinds of ways, we hope that you would do that and partner with us in that kind of a thing. So again, we want to thank you and we want to invite you to be a part of something really cool and we'll nudge just another way in which we're nudging and helping and encouraging our community. Now, because it is Christmas, Doc's going to be up here in a moment. He's going to talk about really bad gifts. And so I have to tell you about a really bad gift that I got one time. All right. And this is maybe my most famous Christmas story. You guys don't know me real well yet. And so I still have all these stories that you don't know. But you need to know the Christmas of the beans. All right. The refried beans specifically. It's the Christmas of the refried beans. When I was uh, probably about like 11, 12 years old, I'm a kid of the 90s. And do you guys remember the starter jackets? Like, I wanted that 49er starter jacket for Christmas. It's the only thing I wanted, and it was a little outside the budget of my home. And, and, but I refused to ask for anything else, knowing that I could just force them to get it for me. And so that's all I asked for. Well, my mom is one of those moms who she counts all the presents, and everything has to be even and equal. But if she only got me one thing, then it meant that it wouldn't be even and equal. And it also meant that I wouldn't know what the one thing was. So she wrapped cans of refried beans for me. But she didn't just like simple cans of refried beans. She'd put them like in big boxes. And like the first time, it was funny. And I, and I kind of took that as, hey, I think I'm going to get what I want. But then like the second time, I was like, okay, that was less funny. And then the third time, I'm like, this is consistently getting less funny each time I open it. And I think it was probably like gift number five when tears got involved. Uh, it was getting a little frustrated, upset. Everybody else is smiling with their gifts around them, and it looks like I'm getting ready to cook dinner. And I wasn't happy about it. And it just kind of kept spiraling out. And eventually, my parents gave in and gave me what I wanted and, like, tried to distract me from the fact that there were other packages under the tree with my name on them at the end of the night that they did not ask me to open because it was just more beans. All right. All right. Sometimes we get bad gifts. Sometimes we give bad gifts, right? We've all kind of got some of those stories. It's a good time. We're going to talk about that more 
Doc's going to unpack that. Already start thinking through some of those gifts that you've received, some of them that maybe you've given that maybe weren't as successful as you thought they should have been. Why don't you watch this video? is going to work. So let me, uh, let me just in place of the video tell you a joke that John Sutphin told me this morning. <laughs> Do you know what Adam told Eve the day before Christmas? It's Christmas Eve. <laughs> it's not my joke, okay? So if you have complaints, please address them to our executive pastor, John Setfin. Okay, I don't know whether our multimedia is going to be working, but I'm just going to go ahead and plunge ahead anyway. So, guys, which is it? Christmas Eve or Christmas Day? This evening or tomorrow morning, when should you open your presents? How many of you guys would argue tomorrow morning, Christmas Day? You guys are wrong. Christmas stockings are for Christmas Day. Christmas presents are for Christmas Eve. Do you know how I know? Because that's the way my family did it growing up. <laughs> and which of you is going to tell my mom she's wrong? Now, Julie took some convincing because she grew up in a family that did do it wrong. But gradually, over decades, she has come to the light. That one's little. But Christmas can be complicated, right? And... Christmas has the capacity to make some people really uncomfortable. Maybe you live near your parents, or maybe you live near two sets of parents or more, and what's well, hard sometimes, right? Who goes where, when? Who gets Christmas Eve? Who gets Christmas Day? Who fixes Christmas dinner? Who gets to decide what's for Christmas dinner? Hammer roast. It can get complicated. Sometimes people get frustrated. Well, what if you don't live near your parents? Maybe your family's just too far away and you're kind of disconnected or maybe you're divorced and connections are just flat out strained. Or maybe someone precious to you, someone that you're accustomed to sharing Christmas with, maybe they've died. Do you know that Christmas can be an incredibly lonely time for a whole lot of people? Do you know that? Sometimes that loneliness is magnified when so many people around them appear to be connecting. Do you know that depression rates often escalate during the holidays? Do you know that hospitals fill up during the, during the holidays? My dad's going to spend Christmas in, in a hospital this year. Hard time. And then there are problems associated with the gifts. As Ben mentioned, big questions. Who do I have to buy for? How much do I have to spend? 
can I spend more on one person without another person getting offended? If you have kids, holy cow. And how do you deal with the pain and confusion when sometimes your kids' friends get better gifts than your kids get? Most of you guys know about Randy. He's been my preaching partner for over 20 years. Randy had a cousin who, when she was in junior high, would actually sit there with a calculator on her lap, calculating the combined value of each person's gift to test who her parents loved the most. I'd have done interesting things to that calculator. Maybe you've never used a calculator, but have you ever done something similar to that in your head? You're a dork. But Christmas can be complicated, right? Christmas can make people quite uncomfortable. Did you know that there was an article last month in CNBC that said 25% of us still have holiday debt from last year? And did you know that one-third of those who take out holiday debt this year are going to take five months plus to pay it off, according to projections? Have you ever received a gift that made you uncomfortable? Randy also told me that one time he gave Marianne a garbage disposal for Christmas. In his defense, Marianne had told him that she wanted one. But sometimes we guys are not supposed to listen to what they say. We're supposed to figure out what they really mean somehow. And if any of you guys can figure that out, please write a book. Your brothers need it. Did you ever give a teenage boy, perhaps, deodorant? He couldn't figure out why. Did you ever give anybody a self-help book because you thought they were a mess? Maybe you received a gym membership or a book about the latest diet for Christmas. There are gifts that can make you feel flat out uncomfortable, right? My kids, Elathia and Andy, they're twisted. Each of them, every Christmas, claim to be the favorite. Now understand, what Julie and I think about which one is favorite is entirely irrelevant. It's about making the grandest claim. So this year... There's this star registry where you can pay to name a star. And there's a star somewhere in our galaxy named Aletheia is the favorite. <laughs> On the other hand, there's some kind of a spacecraft going to Mars, and you can pay to have it deliver a message to Mars. And one of those messages that will be on Mars forever is, Aletheia is the least favorite. <laughs> Christmas can be complicated. can make people uncomfortable. You ever heard the phrase to afflict the comfortable and to comfort the afflicted? I think they stole that idea from Jesus. Because I think that's kind of the reason for Christmas. To afflict the comfortable and to comfort the afflicted. Christmas is God's way of telling you and me, us, you guys are a mess. You guys are a mess and you're a mess that you can't fix. You buy that? And if you'll admit that, Christmas is God's way of telling you, I'm here to help. I'm there to help you. I don't want to leave you broken. Let me help. You buy that? Which means that Christmas leaves us with two options. Number one, you can tell God, you're right. I'm a mess and I need your help. Or you can tell God, bless your heart. I don't think so. Which one are you? So this guy named Joseph was engaged to this girl named Mary, and during their engagement, Mary got pregnant. And Joseph knew that he didn't do it. So he was mad, but he wasn't mean. 
He knew he could have shamed her. He knew that even by law at that time, he could have had her executed, but he decided to break it off quietly. And as he was pondering how to break the engagement, an angel, an angel from God, appeared to give him a message from God. Now, guys, if a real angel from God appears to you with a message from God, I guarantee you're going to listen, and then you're going to change your pants. And the angel told him, do not be afraid to marry Mary. She's pregnant, but God put that child in her because God can do that because he's God, right? And you're going to have a son, and you're going to name him Jesus, which literally means Yahweh saves, God saves, because he, Jesus, is going to save his people from their sins. You know what that means? It means that God thinks you're a mess. It also means that God thinks you're worth saving. It means he loves you anyway. Do you get that? But it's still our choice. Now, this is week three of a little three-week Christmas series that we're calling You're the Reason. You're the reason for the season. You're the reason for Christmas. Because you are. If you weren't such a mess and if God didn't love you anyway, he never would have had to send his son to save this world. Two weeks ago, my theme was Jesus came to bless the world, to bless the world. He was the way that God would fulfill the promise he made to Abraham to use his family to bless every man, woman, and child in the world for all of time if we accept God's help on his terms. Last week, Ben showed us how God, Jesus was God's, or God's way of showing us what the real God is like, what God's heart looks like. He said, if you look past Jesus, if you look past Jesus, you miss God. This week, I'm going to show you how Christmas removes our excuses, the excuses we make to marginalize God or to push God away. Now, before I dig into that, I want to just give you a couple of caveats. Caveat number one, the Christmas story by itself does not prove that there's a God. Now, I know that a genuine virgin birth would be supernatural. But I don't believe in God because Mary claimed to be a pregnant virgin. If my daughter was pregnant and she claimed to be a virgin, I wouldn't buy it. Would you? Christmas story by itself does not prove that there's a God. And caveat number two, the Christmas story by itself does not prove that Jesus was the Son of God. Again, just because Mary claimed that what was in her belly was God's kid didn't make it so. I mean, proving that Jesus, that there is a God, and proving that Jesus was the Son of God, that's what Easter is about, not Christmas. And Easter does it well. You see, guys, if a, if a man predicts his death and his resurrection, and he pulls it off, I'd listen to him. And Jesus, who predicted his death and his resurrection, claimed to be the Son of God. So Easter's daggone hard evidence that there is a God and that Jesus really is who he claimed to be. And if there is a God and Jesus is God's Son, then I'm inclined to believe in the birth story. Now here's what the Christmas story does do. The Christmas story reveals the hole that we're in how messed up we are, 
And the Christmas story reveals the kind of God he is, the character of God, the heart of God. Now, guys, you might not agree with God about the kind of holy hole that we're in, but if he's God, I'm not sure that our opinion matters much. I made this statement a couple of minutes ago. Christmas is God's way of telling us, you guys are a mess. You guys are a mess that you can't fix. And then I asked you, do you buy that? You accept that. This angel tells Joseph to name Jesus, Jesus, which literally means God saves, Yahweh saves, because he's here to save us from our sins. Because apparently God takes our sins quite seriously, maybe more seriously than many of us do. Apparently God thinks we need saving from our sins. Because apparently God thinks that our sins are killing us spiritually, which is kind of an assault on our egos, isn't it? In fact, later on, Jesus made this statement. He said, the Son of Man, which is what he called himself sometimes, he said, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom. To give my life as a ransom, to die as a ransom for us, to buy our freedom. So are you honest enough, ruthlessly honest enough to admit that you're a mess, a mess that you can't fix spiritually? But Christmas also reveals something about the kind of God He is, the character of God, the heart of God. Because guys, if something is really a mess, if something is badly broken, we're prone to throw it away, right? And our Creator God had the right to do exactly the same with each one of us. Instead, he sends a Savior at extreme personal cost. He loves us that much anyway. For some reason, he still wants to do life with us, as messed up as we are. In fact, Jesus was also called Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which literally means the with us God, God with us. And most of the time, we wouldn't mind God doing life with us as long as we get to dictate terms when he shows up, where he shows up, what he does when he shows up. But again, if we're ruthlessly honest, we have to admit that doing life without God isn't working for anybody. And God's serious. The lengths to which he would go to show us his heart, the lengths to which he would go to pay our ransom. The Apostle John tells us that the Word of God, the Word of God, which was Jesus, the Word became human. The Creator entered into creation, and He made His home among us for 30 years or so. He didn't just send a note. God could have. It's kind of what the Muslims think God did. He didn't just pop in and then wink out, which He could have. In fact, He has done that from time to time. Have you ever popped in somewhere because you really didn't want to be there, but you had to show up just long enough to make an appearance and then excuse yourself and leave? Jesus didn't do that. He was birthed like us. He grew up like us. He lived with us, traveled with us, got bruised like us, fished with us, camped with us, laughed with us, wept with us, died for us, even though he was infinitely bigger and better than any of us? After Jesus, could anyone seriously question the heart of God, the love of God, his desire to do life with us? 
And if you still insist on questioning his heart, does that matter? What if, guys? Think about it. What if? What if Easter is true? What if the one who claimed to be the Son of God actually did predict his death and his resurrection and he pulled it off? What if, then, that you really are the mess that God thinks you are? And what if, what if God's right? You can't fix your mess. And what if Christmas was the beginning of God providing us a way out, a way back? What if Jesus really is Emmanuel, God on earth dwelling with us, God on earth to save us, God on earth to give us a way to do life with God, the kind of life that our Creator meant for us? then wouldn't it be fair to say that any excuse that we might concoct for marginalizing Jesus or pushing Jesus away fades into absurdity? What possible excuse could we concoct for marginalizing God or pushing Him away? And yet we try. In fact, we're good at it. And I'm not just talking about those who refuse to accept Jesus as Savior and Lord, which might include some of you guys. I'm also talking about so many of us who claim to be Jesus followers, who claim that we have accepted Jesus as our Savior and our Lord. Because for some of us, Jesus following is kind of like, well, how little can I do and still be good with God? Ever asked that question? How often do I have to go to church? if at all. And when I do go to church, how seriously do I have to engage? Or is just being there enough? That's marginalizing God, isn't it? For others, can I do pretty much what I want out there as long as I come here and pay for it somehow? Might call those folks practical atheists, people who say that they're Jesus followers on Sunday, but don't live that way Monday through Saturday. Some of us are kind of like, I like to sin, God likes to forgive, we got a good thing going. That's kind of a way of marginalizing God, isn't it? For others, following Jesus is kind of like, I'm going to keep following Jesus as long as He keeps taking me where I want to go. As long as this thing is working out for me, as long as God is taking care of me and mine, I'll follow Him. But even that is a way of marginalizing God as God, isn't it? Too often, marginalizing God, pushing God away, is made easier by the sappy sentimentality of Christmas. Baby in a manger, how sweet is that? How harmless could he be? Mary and Joseph having a baby in a manger, kind of like a a cosmic Hallmark movie. Christmas Jesus is easier to blow off than the Easter Christmas. Jesus, I mean. I mean, how many of you guys have ever seen the movie Talladega Nights? The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. Remember the famous prayer to baby Jesus? Dear baby Jesus. And Carly's like, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. And Ricky's like, well, I like the Christmas Jesus best when I pray. Dear tiny Jesus in your golden fleece diapers. Dear eight-pound, six-ounce, newborn infant Jesus, don't even know a word yet. Just a little infant, so cuddly, but still omnipotent. 
Because if you can keep Jesus a baby, you can blow him off. So have you actually accepted the real Jesus as your Savior? Because you need him. And have you accepted the real Jesus as your Lord? Because he is. Or have you marginalized him or pushed him away? And if so, what excuse can you make? For some, it's like, well, I'm not even sure there is a God. For others, even a little stronger than that. I'm pretty sure there is no God. And like I said a few minutes ago, the Christmas story is not going to help resolve that question in your mind. Easter will. Bottom line, if you're honest, you're going to come to admit that it takes more faith to believe that there is no God than it does to believe that there is a God. It's going to take faith either way. But I'm serious when I say I don't have enough faith to believe that there is no God. The evidence is too strong. Bottom line, guys, if God raised Jesus from the dead, then we need to get deadly serious about everything Jesus said and did. And if the big G God is trying to reveal himself to us in and through Jesus, could there be anything conceivably more important than listening to him? And others are like, well, okay, I believe in Jesus. I believe he was the son of God, but the idea that I'm hosed without him, seriously, it's kind of over the top. I mean, I know I sin some, but I'm more good than bad. If there's a God, and if God is good, he's not going to damn someone like me wouldn't be right. If there's a hell, that's only for the worst of the worst, right? Guys like serial killers, pedophiles, terrorists, dictators, Nazis, Satanists, redskin fans, maybe. I do want to be good with God, and I know that I can use some forgiving from time to time, but the idea that Jesus had to die to pay for sins like mine, isn't that over the top? Couldn't God have simply just forgiven us? I mean, there are people who sin against me, right? And I know that forgiving can sometimes be really, really hard. But I don't know that anybody who has hurt me deserves to die for what they've done for me. Is God just thin-skinned? Or could it be that our sin is way more serious than we're willing to admit sometimes? Could it be that our sin damages us way more seriously that it damages those that we do life with way more seriously than we're willing to admit. Listen, guys, if God could simply have blown off our sin, he would have been a fool to choreograph the Christmas story. God thinks that our sin is that serious, that we need a Savior who will take the penalty for our sins upon himself. And we've got to break through the illusion, the delusion that our sins are not that bad and use that as an excuse to marginalize God or push Him away. Others marginalize God. They push God away because, well, if Jesus really is the Son of God and if God really does reveal Himself in and through Jesus, well, I'm not sure I like Him. How many of you guys have pushed God away because you don't think God behaves the way that a God should behave? If God's so powerful, God is so good, why does He permit so much evil in this messed up world? If God is so powerful, God is so good, why doesn't he fix my kid? Why doesn't he fix my checkbook, my marriage? 
If God is so powerful, God is so good, why doesn't he choreograph a little more peace on earth, goodwill to men, right? It's interesting that most of us want a God who's kind of like a cosmic-sized me. Justice warriors want a DEI God who's willing to cancel those who stand in his way. Eco-warriors want a Gaia God who cares as much or more for the world as he does for the people who inhabit it. Those who live for pleasure want a God who helps them follow the desires of their hearts. Desires he gave them, after all, they argue. We want a God who cares about the things we care about. And if your picture of God is different than mine, what makes your idea of God any better than mine? And here's where we take that kind of nonsense. We figure if Jesus isn't my kind of God, that gives me the right to marginalize Jesus or push him away. But maybe, maybe instead of trying to shape God into our image, maybe we need some humility. Maybe we need to let God be God. Maybe we need to trust him when we don't understand him. Maybe we need to trust him when we don't agree with him because he's God and he's smarter than we are and he's better than we are. And someday I suspect every single one of us will be stunned by how wise God really is. Listen, guys, I think maybe we need to spend less time focusing on what we think God should be doing and more time focusing on what God is actually doing. And I'm telling you guys, Christmas tells us that God cares and that he's doing something about it. One more excuse that we often make. We're like, okay, I get it. I'm a mess. I can't fix me. I get it. God loves me anyway. God sent a Savior, and I'm grateful. So here's the deal. I will accept Jesus as my Savior now. And later on, when I can, I'll accept him as my Lord. Right now, there's some things more important to me some things I want to experience. There's some things I want to do right now, things that are not quite consistent with being a Jesus follower. I'll get there, but not yet. Anybody here kind of like that? Any of you guys know that it's the right thing to do and you'll get it done, but later? And with that excuse, you kind of marginalize Jesus now or push him away now which is what all of our excuses do, marginalize Jesus as Savior or Lord or push him away. And did you know that you should never, ever put off doing the right thing, especially this right thing? Listen, guys, the Christmas story is not a sappy hallmark story about peace on earth and goodwill between men. It was never meant to be that. It's God's response to the mess we made. It's God's judgment on the seriousness of the mess we made. It's God's judgment on all of us. And it's God's judgment as to whether we're capable of fixing that mess. We're not. And it's God's demonstration that he loves us anyway for some crazy reason. It's a God's demonstration that he values, how much he values you, every single one of us. And it's God's claim on us, rattling our sometimes delusional little cages.
It's time to get it right, isn't it? Right here, right now. The question is, how do you respond to Jesus? And when? You are the reason for the season, guys. You're the reason. We're going to give you the opportunity to respond in a couple of ways. For some of you guys who have accepted Jesus as your Savior and acknowledge Him as your Lord, give Him thanks. During this next time when we sing together and this next time when we take the Lord's Supper together, just thank Him again. Recommit yourself to Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. Some of you guys have been marginalizing God. You've accepted Him as your Savior, but you're not living like He's your Lord. Is there a better time to get it right? Are you willing to ask Him right now to be your Lord as well as your Savior? What are you going to do? How are you going to make that so? What changes from this point forward in your life? For others, you've not made that decision yet to make Him Savior or Lord. Is there a better time? It's Christmas. He came to offer this gift to us. Is there a better time to bend your knees and accept Him as your Savior and your Lord? Maybe today is the day that you make Him your King. Maybe today is the day that you become part of a church family. We'd love to have you here if He's your Savior and your Lord. You're never going to be offered a better gift, ever. There's no better gift you could ever give yourself or to the people around you than embracing Jesus. Do you buy that? Guys, we're going to give you this opportunity to respond. We're going to listen to a, a guy that's going to give us an amazing little poem here in a minute. During that time, if you want to come, Ben and I are going to be down front. We'd love to talk with you. Then we're going to have a time of the Lord's Supper during that time. If you want to come talk with us, we'd love to talk with you, pray with you. There's an elder in the back in that prayer room. If you want to slip back there and have him pray with you and talk with you, please do that. When the service is over, I uh, think I'm going to be right here. Ben's going to be in the connection room. Make your way to one of us and let's talk. And let's pray. Let's get it done, guys. Let's pray together and then I'm going to have you listen to this poem. Father, for Jesus, we give you thanks. For his challenge, help us to be receptive. We love you dearly and are amazed by what you've done for us. In the name of Christ, we pray these things. Amen. What good is the Christmas story if it's void of God and his glory? What's the worth of the words, peace on earth, if it's not rooted in the truth of Christ's birth? What benefit is it for us to discuss the joy of the season unless we fix our hearts and our minds on the principal reason that Christ has atoned for us? See, Christmas is more than just a story of a baby born in a manger, more than a poor fiance engaged to a humble virgin teenager, more than a magi, more than gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It's more than a narrative of the nativity scene. There was so much more that occurred. It's the coming of the Messiah, the fulfillment of all Old Testament promises, the prophecy of the suffering servant and all of his accomplishments, the second person of the Trinity, commissioned to abandon his position and literally set aside the independent exercise of his attributes in full submission, the word manifested in the flesh, 
The fullness of God expressed. The self-emptying Jesus poured out at the Father's request. The image of the invisible God, the radiance of the Father's fame, holy but retained his humanness to empathize with our pain. He was unjustly crushed, chastised, cursed, and shamed, mocked and adorned with a crown of thorns, disgraced, but he still faced the grave. To fulfill the Father's will, to come and die in the place of sinful men, and receive the full fury of God's judgment upon himself instead. The most monumental mark for mankind, made in human history, wretched sinners being made righteous only by the wounds of the risen King. The condescending of a holy God, made in the likeness of men, a child born to be the Savior that would save the world from their sins, the offspring of the virgin's womb, the Christ, God's own Son, fully God, yet fully man, the only theanthropic one. This is what we celebrate. Christ, the newborn King, veiled in flesh to Godhead see, pale incarnate deity.
You guys can have a seat real quick. I want to introduce you to a new friend of ours. This is Ramon Juarez. Ramon, yeah. Ramon's got connected really well with Brian Peltier and their ministry, uh, CR, that meets on Tuesday nights. And uh, I, it wasn't this past week. It was a week and a half ago, right? Uh, Ramon got baptized right here in this tank. Really cool deal. And, uh, man, he loves what we're doing here. We love him. We're glad that you're here, man. We really are. And he wants to become a member of the church, and that's really cool. And so I'm going to take his confession of faith again. I want you to repeat these words after me, okay? I believe, I believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of the living God, and my personal Lord and Savior. That's fantastic. Why don't you guys welcome them all? This is why Jesus came, guys, because we are a mess that we cannot fix. But he didn't leave us hanging on our own. He came to help. And we celebrate that today for sure, but we celebrate it every Sunday. We come to the table, remember his body, we remember his blood that he broke and shed for us, for our sake. Because we don't want to ever come together and forget what he's done for us. So just a moment, we're going to dismiss you to the table to take communion. We're going to also use that as a time of worship for offering. We've got our boxes. If you're part of the Cap City family, we've got a brown box on each table where you can uh, give and, and be grateful for what he's done for you. And if you feel so very led to, to just give even beyond what it is uh, that, that's been placed on your heart, you want to give even more, we've got buckets at the table, more than those first parts. You can give into that. And we use that just to help people within our community. Today we're going to do something a little bit different, okay? As you get up and you go to the tables, I'm going to ask you to take the bread and juice and take them back to your seat. Don't take them yet. We're going to take them collectively, communally as a, as a group. I'm going to walk us through that, okay? But as you get up and go to the tables, you'll also hear uh, Morgan's going to do a reading from John chapter 1 for us. Uh, John's account of the Christmas story. It's a little bit different, but it's a beautiful rendition. And so as you go to the tables, again, be quiet. Listen to these words. You'll see them on the screen as well. Take the elements back to your seat with you, and we'll take them together. Why don't you stand? Go to the table. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about this light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He came into the very world that he created, but the world didn't even recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But 
to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of grace and of truth. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. also passed on to you. Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. I want you to take that bread. Let's go ahead and take it now in remembrance. This is Christ's body broken for us. Every time we're together, we do this in remembrance of him. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Go ahead and take the juice. Every time we're together, we do this to remember what he has done for us. Paul finishes, he says, whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We came today to proclaim his birth but we will never come together without proclaiming his death and his resurrection. You're the reason for the season. God loves you anyway. The lengths to which he went to make it possible for us to do life with him. What excuse could we ever make not to? But the deal is, it's a gift that we can accept or not. God doesn't force himself on us. Have you received the gift, the greatest gift of all? So I want to remind you some of those things that Doc offered you just a moment ago, ways in which you can respond, whether that's just spending some time in gratitude and thankfulness to God and what it is that he's done for you. Maybe it's a conversation with an elder in a prayer room. Maybe it's a conversation with Doc or I up front as we close out this service. Someone will be in the connections room at the end. We can have those conversations. We care most of all that you know who Jesus is and that you're introduced to him and that you would be willing to take those next steps towards having a relationship with him. We've closed out this sermon series. We want to encourage you back next week as we finish out the year, start the new year. We're going into kind of foundational pieces, those those big things that, that uh, prove why we are a church and what we're all about, okay? But for now, Merry Christmas. Thanks for being here. We're so grateful you're here. We've got one more song, and then we'll see you next week.
One more quick thing. Here we go. We got Cassie Eubanks, and I'm going to read off her whole family. She's got some girls up here, Jada, Chloe, Macy, and then her husband, AJ's back here. They've been coming with her parents, Jeff and Beth Kayser, and they want to place membership as well. And so I'm going to ask you to do the same, confession of faith. All right? I believe, I believe that, Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Son of the living God and, my personal Lord and, Savior. and my personal Lord and Savior. Fantastic. Why don't you guys welcome them? We're good to go. Merry Christmas, guys. Enjoy your time with your family. We'll see you next week.